Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. I uh, love getting to sing about the truth, uh, the power in Jesus' name, the power that God has, the power to uh, break through the things that are in front of us and and seem like walls and oceans that just keep getting in our way. And I find I get a little impatient waiting for whatever that breakthrough is to happen. Uh, And I'm guessing I'm not alone in that. And I am grateful in so many ways uh, that scripture teaches us that God's power uh, is made perfect in our weakness, um, even when that weakness is impatience sometimes. Uh, I wanna start this morning Uh, before we dive into our story in scripture with a couple of reflection questions, just to get us thinking about our own lives and our day-to-day. So the first question is this, Uh, what are you responsible for? What are you responsible for in your home, in your workplace, in your family, in your community? What comes to mind as you think about the responsibilities you have and hold and the things that you feel responsible for? And then the second question is who are you responsible to? Who are you responsible to in your workplace, in your family, in your community, in your country? Who are you responsible to? I think another way to think about that responsible to question is to say, who do you belong to? But the word belong, uh, it makes me a little jittery. Uh, it, it kind of uh, ruffles my shoulders in some weird ways somehow. I, uh, although the word responsibility also can do that. And that question of what are we responsible for uh, may sound like a job description, Uh, But in a lot of different areas of my life, it's a question that I have had to wrestle with, and I think everybody should. Uh, If there is a center lane of these are the things I am responsible for, I think many of us veer off to the left or the right, either into uh, blaming other people rather than taking responsibility for things, or... Uh, into taking responsibility for things that are not actually our responsibility. In the addiction groups that I have walked through and found freedom in, uh, we talk quite a bit about responsibility and what we're responsible for and not grasping for things that we're not responsible for. uh, And also uh, not blaming other people for the things that we have to take ownership of, and I have done quite a bit of veering in both directions in my life. In uh, ministry training, in vocational ministry training and conferences and whatever, we talk some about responsibility and what are you actually responsible for. 
For instance, I am responsible for my prayer life, my conversations and my relationship with God. I am not responsible for your prayer life. That's yours. Now, things I say up here make, may make that easier or harder, or I, I don't know. I'm not trying to make it any harder, I promise. But I'm, I'm responsible for mine, and you are responsible for yours. I'm responsible to find accountability, to find a, a spiritual a director or mentor of uh, some sort, uh, to set aside the time um, to uh, figure out what in the world it means to pray unceasingly. And so are you. Uh, a number of years ago, when I was in youth ministry, uh, I had a uh, mom that I was talking to, and she was concerned about some things that uh, her kids were uh, learning and deciding, and to be honest, I don't actually remember what she was concerned about. Um, but uh, I do uh, remember, and probably will always remember, her looking me in the face and saying, look, when I stand before God, I am going to be held responsible for these children. I, I can't be the only one that this happens to. Do you ever have a conversation and about two hours later you go, that's what I should have said. Ah, right? Yeah, somebody else? Okay, good. Uh, I had one of those moments with this conversation because what she said struck me as wrong, but it also struck me as really holy. And so I thought maybe I was wrong. And it took me a couple hours to go, wait, I figured out what went wrong. Uh, when she stands before God, she is going to be held responsible for her care of her children, not for her children and their choices. They are their own people. I don't know if you know this or not. Your children are your own people, and, or their own people, not your own people. Their own people. Your children, their own people. And not just when they become adults, but like when they're two. They're their own people. They make their own choices. That is their screaming fit they're choosing to have. And I know they're 27 and they probably shouldn't be, but they are. That is, that's not your choice. Now, you may have done something to cause that choice of theirs, but you're responsible. And this mom, when she stands before God, will be responsible and held accountable for how she chose to care for and serve and love her children. She will not be held responsible or accountable for the choices that they made. And... I wish I had had the words for that then, and I am so hopeful that one day she's going to learn that because it will create so much freedom for her. And for those of you who are wondering if that mom is in the room right now, she is not. She does not go to our church. Just free up your brain space for what comes next. Okay. One day, uh, Jesus's opponents came to him with what amounted to a responsibility question. What are we responsible for, Jesus, in this scenario? Do we have to be responsible to do this thing? And when they asked this question, it was intended to be a trap question. It was politically charged, and it was, in their mind, a yes or no question. Either yes, we are responsible for doing this, or no, we are not. And they were convinced that either way Jesus answered this question, yes or no, this burgeoning Jesus movement, this gathering and, and momentum that he was getting uh, would disappear. And the movement would stop dead in its tracks. They asked a responsibility question 
and Jesus gave them a belonging answer. So I'm going to have Sherry come up and read this story for us. We are going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 22, uh, starting in verse 15. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples, along with the supporters of Herod, to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now, tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said, why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin for the tax. Then, when they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and he went then and they went away. Thanks, Shay. Is it our responsibility to pay taxes to Caesar or not? I think Jesus' answer teaches us a lot about both responsibility and belonging. Because they asked a responsibility question, and he gave a belonging answer. Uh, now, for those of you uh, who are uh, new or, or new-ish, uh, we don't talk about politics a lot around here. We're probably going to talk about it more in the next, well, I know we're going to talk about it more in the next 16, 15 months because it is going to be so much a part of what is going on uh, in our daily lives and cultural conversations. Uh, nobody, at least nobody authorized, is going to stand up here uh, and tell you how to vote or what petition to sign or any of those sorts of things. Uh, but we are going to talk about how we engage in the political arena of our lives, how we engage with other people, how we engage with people who come up uh, against us. Because it turns out that Jesus said absolutely nothing about democracy. Not a thing. He didn't live in a democracy. He wasn't trying to set up a democracy. So he didn't say anything about it. However, he had a lot to say about how we treat the people around us, how we engage with our opponents, and how we engage in the political realm of life, because there was lots of politics going on in Jesus's day, and he is moving in and through all of those politics, trying to come with a new message and a new way of being alive. Uh, as Sky has said uh, before, and I think he stole it from somebody, but I'll give him credit for it. As Sky has said, scripture is written for us, but it is not written to us. It is not written to a 21st century democratic society, but it is written for us to learn from, to model our lives after. And there are things in this living word that the Holy Spirit of God has to teach us uh, about how we engage in the world we do find ourselves in. And make no mistake, in this political charge environment that Jesus is in, this is a politically charged question. Do we pay our taxes to Caesar or do we not? 
And again, if he says, yes, go ahead, pay taxes to Caesar, no big deal, his opponents expect that the people who have been following him will be immediately disenfranchised and many of them will walk away. The general prevailing idea, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, of those who are gathering to follow Jesus uh, is that his whole movement will be politically charged and have a political impact that he is there to free his people, the Jewish people, from the oppression of Rome. That's, that's a political move. And so many people are gathering to go, I can't wait to see what he does to kick those Romans in the tail. And I'm excited for it. And so they figured that if he said, no, no, Caesar's an okay guy, just pay him his taxes, uh, that that would make people angry and they would walk away. Or <clears throat> he would say no, uh, and then the Roman government would be upset, uh, and then they would arrest and or kill him, and that would stop the movement. Either way, they think, the movement comes to a screeching halt. And there were lots of reasons, as I look at this question, for Jesus to say no. Say, no, no, don't, don't pay your taxes to Caesar. First of all, in Roman culture um, and in uh, Caesar's own mind, we presume, in Roman culture, Caesar was considered a god. Now, for a group of people, the Jewish people, whose very first law from God was, you will have no other gods beside me, it would be very easy to say, no, no, we're, we're not paying some sort of worship token. We're not giving to this god guy, Caesar, this false god, we're, we're not worshiping him or elevating him in any way, so we are not going to give our money to him. On top of that, again, the Roman people are oppressing the Jewish people, so to fund that oppression would seem ridiculous. Why would I pay my uh, enemy to buy more weapons, to spread out their power to more places, to enslave or, or oppress more people, not to mention... Sometimes the Romans just came through Jewish towns and burned them down and raped and pillaged, and you're funding those kind of endeavors. Well, then of course you should say no. And that doesn't even get into how the Romans went about collecting their taxes and all the corruption and the, the violence and the manipulation that went into all of that. No, of course the answer is no. You're not going to pay taxes to fund all of that. And yet, Jesus doesn't actually say no. He says, give me the coin. Whose head is on this thing? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and God what is God's. Now, a really important note, that Jesus does not say, what Caesar's doing is fine, just pay for it. It'll be great. Uh, he doesn't say vote for Caesar in the next election. He doesn't approve of anything that Caesar is doing. He doesn't do any of that. He simply says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's. Well, what does that mean for our context and our situation? I think it is helpful to recognize that Jesus is making at least a couple of assumptions here. Some are more debatable, but he seems to for sure be making at least these two assumptions. One, that people will give to the world. People will give to Caesar. People may give to their neighbor. People will give to 
the world. And Jesus seems to assume that people will give to God. People who have money are going to give to the world. They're going to give to God. That just seems like a given. He says, honor the government by paying what is required. In other words, give to the world what belongs to the world. This is Caesar's. It belongs to Rome. Rome is a kingdom of this world. Fine. Give to the world what belongs to the world. Give to the government what belongs to the government. And we say, oh, I don't want to give my government my money. First of all, it's my money. Second of all, I don't like how they're spending it on the military, or I don't like what they're doing in public education, or I don't like how they're qualifying people for welfare. I don't want to give my money to support any of that. Okay. So now we return to our opening question. What are you responsible for? Are you responsible for the military and education budgets or curriculum in our country? Unless some of you have a lot more power than I'm aware of, no. Are you responsible to vote? Yes. Now, Jesus never says vote, because again, he's not speaking to a democracy, but he he does clearly mean for us to engage in the world around us, shining the light of Christ into all kinds of dark places. And I would think that one of the ways we do that in our society is that we can vote. And we can vote for certain people based on their platforms and the words that they tell us, whether they're true or not. And, and we, we can engage in that way and try to have some influence in that way. Are we responsible? Are you responsible for how you treat other people in political conversations in the political arena? Yeah. Yeah. Are you responsible if you are called by God to run for office and serve on the budget committee and be part of the conversations about military or education budgets? Yet, please, if you are called by God to run for office, go for it. Please do. Please get involved in those things. That is... That is fine and fantastic. And at that point, when I ask, are you responsible for this? You can go, yeah, actually, I am. And I'll be like, whew, good for you. Uh, better you than me. Are you responsible to have an opinion on every issue and share it with as many people as possible? No, actually. That might surprise some of us, but no. Uh, even in 2023, we can keep our uninformed opinions to ourselves. We can. It's possible, I think. I think. Are you responsible to give to the government what they ask you to give them? Jesus sure seems to say so here. Yeah. Are you responsible to obey the words of Jesus? Well, if you have given him your life because he's given his life for you, if you have said, yes, Jesus is Lord of my life, I believe he knows how to run a life better than I do, then yeah, yes, even when you disagree with him. But if we've given our lives to Jesus, then paying our taxes 
or any other responsibility that we may have, caring for our kids, serving in our community, a job, if we have given our lives to Jesus, then taking care of these responsibilities actually has very little to do with being a citizen of the United States or being alive in 2023. See, Jesus also seems to assume that everything either belongs to the world or to God. Everything either belongs to the world or to God. Two categories that everything fits in. Everything belongs to the world or to God. So then which part belongs to you? Well, none of it. And that ruffles our American bald eagle feathers just a little bit, doesn't it? That's my money. I worked for it. That is my house. And this is the language we use, right? This is my house. This is my job. This is my car. This is my kids. This is my church. I determine what happens with these things. Now, for those of us who have been walking together through the book of Matthew for the last several months now, and we only have uh, two weeks left this week and next. We've been talking about, because Jesus talks about a lot, and Matthew writes down a lot, that Jesus is trying to set up something he calls the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. That there is a different kingdom Jesus is trying to establish. And that he really sets these apart as diametrically opposed foes, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. He says, everything belongs to one of these two things. And he is calling people to come and belong in the kingdom of God with him. And I'm not saying that you can't be a citizen of the United States and belong to God, what, what scripture calls a citizen of heaven. The question is, how do we live as citizens of heaven in our citizenship here? Because this isn't actually a question of citizenship. This is a question of belonging. And Jesus is saying that all people either belong to the powers of this world, to money and comfort and pleasure and manipulation and political power, or people belong to the kingdom of God, to peace and hope and grace and serving others and welcoming strangers and loving enemies. And the question in Jesus' mind, it appears to me, is not whether you belong to yourself, because that's not actually one of the options, but whether you give yourself over to the kingdom of the world or to the kingdom of God. But the question he actually, they present him with a question about where their money should go. And he presents them with an answer. 
about where they should belong. I think it's maybe a side note, but I think an important one, that it appears from Jesus' answer that giving your money is not the same as giving yourself. Right? There's another Bible verse about where uh, our, our money, like our, our, thank you. Where your treasure is, there her heart will be also. I'm so glad you read my mind. Uh, and yet, Jesus gives room here for us to give money to Caesar, give to the world what is the world. What are you, what are you in possession of that belongs to the world? <laughs> you can give that to them. Give your money to Caesar, he says. Just don't give your life and your heart and your hope and your worship to him. So your tax money belongs to this world. So give it to the world. You and your heart and your tithe and your hope belong to God. So give it to him. Now, what does it mean to belong to the kingdom of God? What does it mean to belong to to God. Because again, that belonging word for me, I, maybe nobody else is having this issue. I, I just struggle with like ownership and belonging and uh, that um, feels forced. And, and I, I don't know, I just run into issues with the word. And yet, Jesus seems to assume that we all belong to something, to the world or to the kingdom of God. In a different gospel, the gospel of John, who is also like Matthew, one of the people who followed Jesus around. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his followers. He knows he's going to die. He knows uh, that he is going to be taken from them. Uh, And so he is praying for his followers, which uh, means not only the people who are hearing him at the moment, uh, but because John wrote it down, it means also for us that we get to read it too. In verse nine, he says, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so they will be united just as we are. That just as Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, just as he belongs to God, he is, and God the Father is, inviting us to be to belong to them in the same intimate, overlapping way. In a letter from an early church planter and leader named Paul, a letter he wrote to the Roman church, he says it this way, verse 15 of chapter 8. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. 
for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. We belong to God as a child belongs to a loving parent. My kids belong in my love. Now, I'm not perfect, uh, unlike God. My kids will be the first ones to tell you I'm not perfect. And yet, as I love them well, when I love them well, my love invites them to safely belong with me. Because I love them, I guide them toward living in a certain way. I teach them a certain way to go. I invite them to be part of uh, our family. And, and my love and, and Wendy's love in, invites them to safely belong in our family. We instruct them on what it means to be part of our family. They find safety and joy in that family when we love them well. They find a platform to grow from, instructions to grow within. God loves us as his children with a perfect love and joy and belonging. Uh, different, uh, well, we read from John's gospel uh, earlier, Jesus's prayer. John also wrote some letters to the early churches. And in one of those in 1 John chapter 3, near the end of the New Testament, he says this, and we'll read this a couple of times. He says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. A couple of things to zero in on here real quick, like. One is that the God of the universe invites you to be his child. That's incredible. The other is that it appears from this verse and others that not everybody is a child of God. That's language that picked up steam over the last 50 years or so, that, that we're all children of God. And scripturally, that's just not true. Every single human being is created by God and loved deeply and personally by God, by their creator. We are, all, we are not all children of God. Those who are children of God are those who have chosen to belong to him, who have said yes to being adopted by him as their father, who have chosen to make Jesus Lord of their life. Not everyone has made that choice. Some have given themselves to belonging to the kingdom of God, to belonging to God as their father, and some have given themselves over to belong to the world and they can't see the difference. 
And so we engage with the world around us in the things that we are responsible for in a way to show them the love of the Father for them. That they might see the difference. What that means is, as we engage in our responsibilities, our responsibility flows out of our belonging to the Father. Our responsibility flows out of our belonging to the Father. We do so much talking in churches from a very young age all the way up about the the things we're supposed to do, the actions we're supposed to have because we are Christians. And there is some very good truth to that. There is a reason we talk about it. If that's all we talk about, suddenly uh, church becomes uh, a self-help center or a community club where we want to teach each other to be really nice to each other, uh, to not challenge each other, to uh, just create a safe space for whatever. And there is good and there's truth in all of those things. It can start to sound like the only things that set a Christian apart from the world is that they do good things. I have a newsflash for you that is different than the newsflashes you will see on the internet or the television but most of the people in the world are doing really good things. Some of the most loving people I know would never say that they belong to God and they don't really want to. If all we're trying to do is out-responsible the people around us, we're sort of missing the point. We are invited to be Adopted, we are invited to belong to God. I want to read this section from John 3 again. You are invited by a loving Father. Uh, read verse 1 again and a couple after it. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Pure being another word for holy and perfect without sin or blemish. And because God is holy and good, we know that his love is holy and good. And because we know his love is perfect, it means we can belong to it safely and completely. That we are invited in, that you are invited in, invited to belong to a God of hope and holiness and love. That we have this expectation that a day is coming when we will get to see God as he really is. That a day is coming when we will get to live forever in this place of holiness and love that is perfect and welcoming and that we can feel like we truly belong. We have been invited in today 
you have been invited in today to be adopted by a loving father, by a God full of hope and holiness. So that when you go out to do the things that you are responsible for, to engage in your day-to-day life, as you engage with uh, the family members that you like and the ones that you don't, as you engage with your neighbors you find easy to get along with and the ones you hope are looking the other way when you walk past their house, as you engage with the coworkers that drive you crazy and the ones that you look forward to seeing, your responsibility is born out of not your belonging to them, not your responsibility to them, but out of your belonging to the Father. That is where we find our security and our hope. Incredibly, the God of the universe wants to adopt you and is inviting you to give yourself over to belong to the kingdom of God with him. So let me pray for us as we do that and as the worship team comes up. Father God, It is really easy to feel responsible to lots of other things and lots of other people. To give ourselves over to wanting to impress, to wanting to be right, to wanting to have things our way. Father, would you remind us that all of it is yours? That we can give to the world what is the world's, and that we give not whether they deserve it or not, we, we, we give because we belong to you and you are generous and you are giving. Father, whatever it is that we have that belongs to you, we want to give it all to you. May that be true of us as a church. May that be true for each of our families. May that be true for all of us as we walk out of here and into our neighborhoods where there are people who desperately need to know that they are also invited in to be your child and to be loved perfectly and securely. God, whatever it is that belongs to you, we give to you. We are yours. And we give it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.